Welcome, welcome to our podcast. I'm pretty honored to have a local, we'll call him our local celebrity in our area. He's an awesome guy. Um, He has been getting into real estate and doing some kind of crazy, wild things that are very impressive. So let me go through and read his bio. Matt Atchison is a serial businesspreneur. I love that little title. A sports junkie and avid adventurist who has a passion for real estate investing and personal growth. After graduating from UC Santa Barbara, Matt co-founded the Atchison and Adams Real Estate Group, which has locations in Sacramento and the Bay Area. ANA, as they call themselves, has risen to be among the top real estate groups in Northern California region, and I'm testament to that. I see his name everywhere. And was named to Wall Street Journal's top 1,000 teams in the United States for 2015. Matt also owns owns Vault Investment Properties, a private investment group that has rehabbed, developed, and purchased over 60 properties in a a three-and-a-half-year span. He loves coaching on strategies and techniques for building up his clients and his own net worth by adding passive income properties to one's real estate investment portfolio. He now speaks across the country for various coaching and philanthropic, I'm having a tough time with my words today, organizations, and has the most adorable little girl who is now, what's he, just a little over a year old, huh, Matt? That's correct. So you're a new papa, relatively, so you and your fantastic fiancé, who I got the pleasure of sitting with at uh, Derek and Chess's wedding a couple weeks ago, she's a doll, and your little girl, I see pictures of her. She's so cute. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, it's my, those are my best accomplishments right there. Uh, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background. Like, wh- how, how did you end up in real estate? Because you really haven't been in it too long, right? What, three or four years? How long has it been now? Yeah, it's, um, gosh, I just did my license renewal. So a little over four years now. And uh, started at a small, tiny little brokerage. I'll rewind a little bit. I was um, being dragged to real estate seminars. Nobody in my family was uh, in real estate whatsoever, had a history in real estate. My my mom was, uh, you know, a successful businesswoman in the corporate world. And so back when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, she was taking me to these real estate investing seminars for, you know, flipping houses or buying and holding or wholesaling, you know, whatever it was when people were paying 10, 20, 30,000 a pop for, for these real estate courses. And mind you, they still have them out there. But, um, you know, I was in my early, early teens and I was kind of exposed to this idea of real estate being a path for financial freedom. And I said, man, you know, I, I could be one of those people up on stage one day, or I could, you know, be that guy flipping houses, making 10, 20, 30 grand here and there. And so I kind of had that little bug planted in me a long time ago. And I remember when I was going through college, um, I went to UT Santa Barbara and was getting my degree and I was working at this hedge fund. And so it was kind of understanding, you know, the investing world and, and how numbers worked and return on investments and cash on cash and all these things, but it was more directed, you know, in, 
in the money market space. And, and it was something that I quickly learned. I just didn't have a desire to further pursue my career in that space. And I wasn't really passionate about it. Um, and I kept kind of going back to, man, real estate is interesting, you know, whether that's my career or some kind of um, hobby on the side, you know, I wanted to learn more about real estate. So I signed up for my real estate license about, oh gosh, six months into, you know, my senior year, getting close to graduating. Like most people who go to college and pay X amount of dollars for their education, I got out of school and said, yep, I'm not going to use this piece of paper. And what the heck am I (laughs) going to do now? And so I decided that um, I was going to move back home and kind of tap back into my network. And um, I'm born and raised in, you know, the Sacramento region. And so I was, of all places, looking at uh, jobs on Craigslist. And wow. I found a little school um, at a real estate office out in South Sacramento and went uh, to their little introduction program, ended up signing up, and uh, didn't stay at that brokerage for very long. I moved over to Keller Williams pretty quickly, but um, basically that's where I met my business partner, Rachel, was she was managing this office of about 120 agents. And uh, Rachel, I think you've done a podcast with her as well. She um, has her master's degree, had her bachelor's degree. She was making $12 an hour sitting behind a desk. And I got to know her a little bit better. We became friends and uh, I was like, what the heck are you doing? You need to get your real estate license and let's partner up. And so her and I obviously went through a lot of due diligence on making sure that the partnership would make sense. But um, that's how we kind of got licensed and linked up together. And then um, in the process of building up our real estate team at Keller Williams, uh, we decided that, um, you know, we were going to grow the team and um, leverage out a lot of the the responsibilities so she could just focus on being uh, an amazing listing agent. And then at that time, I started building up our investment division, which uh, simultaneously led to me formulating another uh, investment company that I buy all my own personal rentals through and uh, flip houses through. So it kind of just naturally worked hand-in-hand where they were, you know, in the same ecosystem, I like to say, feeding one another. And um, I partnered in a construction company, which I actually ended up selling out of just uh, for a few different reasons. And um, But it was all these businesses that, you know, really they worked together, uh, fed one another, brought revenue streams into, you know, different compartments of the company. So that's kind of how I got led into the real estate journey and um, a little bit fast forward of, you know, kind of where I'm at today. So it brings up a couple of questions, you know, not a whole lot of partnerships, especially in real estate uh, always. But how, how did you, when you said you did some due diligence, can you give our listeners some ideas of what they can do to really figure out if they're a good fit in a partnership or not? Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely, that's when Rachel and I go speaking, um, we were in New York not too long ago. And um, last month we had somebody ask us that question. Practically everywhere we go, people are like, well, how do you guys do it? Because automatically people assume we're married and we're like, nope, we're not married. We're like brother and sister. We want to beat each other up and we love and appreciate each other all at the same time. And so it, it was one of those things where, one, it was a gut thing, first and foremost. Both of us, um, you know, I, I always trust my gut. 
and listen to my gut. And so um, immediately right out of the gate, I went, okay, you know, she's got a lot of the qualities that I, one, admire, and two, are non-negotiables for me in a, in a business partnership. So ethics and integrity, first and foremost, two of the biggest pillars. I plan on being around a long time. I plan on, plan on building a brand that's going to be around a long time. So uh, integrity and ethics were first and foremost. Then it, it, then it came back to work ethic. Um, she showed up at a high level at work every single day, and I noticed that in her. Um, fourth, she had uh, a great vision of what she wanted to accomplish in her life, and through our conversations had this burning desire to make it happen no matter what. And so there was a lot of these things where we were speaking a similar language. And for me, that was uh, kind of laying the groundwork and the foundation for having some of these high-minded, deep conversations that partnerships require. And so, you know, when I got into the business, I was 22, um, 23, yeah, about 22, turning 23. Rachel uh, is three or four years older than me. And so both of us were at, you know, somewhat pivotal points in our lives where, um, we knew what direction we wanted to go in, but we were also kind of creating this vision together. So making sure your vision matches is an extremely important one, but also we call them fierce conversations, also being open uh, and giving the other person permission to have uh, a very authentic and transparent line of communication between one another. Cause um, as weird as this sounds, I mean, a business partnership is practically uh, a relationship just in a different context, in a different environment. We talk about money. We talk about the well-being of our families. We talk about our goals. We talk about what makes us happy. We talk about what makes us sad, what makes us mad, what we do like, what we don't like. So it's, it's all very similar dynamics. Um, and those were things where you, in order to progress forward and move in a positive direction with a partner, you have to be very transparent, very raw, very authentic and real with that person because uh, it's like a relationship, right? You, you feel you're most vulnerable in a relationship and that person sees, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And it's the same way in a business partnership. Um, and there's just, you know, different problems, I guess I would say, or conversations that you're having or dealing with uh, in a business relationship versus, you know, a, a personal partnership. So, um, those are kind of some of the things we talk about. Uh, her and I both, you know, have very similar family upbringing, um, and uh, we, you know, kind of led with some of those pillars. And then um, there's been many a times where, you know, we talk about this openly. This is the evolution of our partnership. Is there's been times where, you know, we didn't want to be partners. There's been times where, hey, you know, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Where are you at? So it's been a constant work in progress and um, we're both very aware and acknowledge that. Um, but at the same time, uh, we always go back to what, what is the foundation of why we got into partnership. And that always brings us back to exactly where we need to be in order to understand how to move through any of the obstacles or challenges we do face in our partnership. So many times in because you're equating a partnership to a relationship, which I 100% agree with. Many times in a relationship, each person has different strengths and different weaknesses, right? Yep. And so did it take some time to kind of figure out um, 
where each of your strengths were so you could focus your time on that. Like rarely, in my opinion, does a relationship work where you're both have the same strengths, right? Like you seem to kind of move into a groove where you each kind of work in a different, a little bit different capacity. It, would you not yep. agree? Oh, no, I definitely agree. Yeah. And I did mean, that take some time you, to you hear... figure out or just? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in personal relationships, a lot of the time you hear, you know, opposites attract. Um, and uh, we have many similar similarities and skill sets, but um, when it comes to our true strengths, we are completely on different ends of the spectrum. And so uh, Rachel, if you know Rachel or have met Rachel, has a very boisterous and bubbly personality. And uh, for someone in sales, someone who is attentive to clients' needs, someone who desires and craves that human connection, she's amazing at that. And so that's why she practically is the face of our company and she's the, the one out in the front. She's the one out in the field all the time. I have more of a, an operational um, systems-geared mindset that, you know, is black and white. She loves playing in the gray and the emotions, the the hugs, the, you know, the handshakes. Um, I'm more of a... Um, if you know the disc scale, I'm more of a high mm-hmm. D. So um, I prefer, you know, moving quickly, uh, emotions and that kind of stuff, which obviously I love human interaction as well and connecting with people. But um, in business, I drive with a very cut black and white uh, type mentality. And that's what keeps us moving forward. Whereas Rachel has a different skill set. So yeah, it took a while for us to really figure out, you know, how do we complement one another and also being honest with um, what are our strengths and what are our weaknesses and not necessarily focusing so much on the weaknesses, but getting each other on the right seat in the bus for enhancing where our strengths are at. Because at the end of the day, we're driving the car to the same destination if we're clear on what our vision is. Um, we need to get the right people on the bus. We need to get them in the right seat. So they will be fulfilled, be productive and effective in what they're doing. And that falls exactly um, when we look in the mirror, that that needs to be something that we're analyzing with ourselves and and what our roles and descriptions are. So as as leaders, it's our job to provide clarity, not only for the people in our organization of what we expect from them, um, it's what we expect for them on the vision of where we're going and how they can help us fulfill it and how we can help them fulfill theirs. And at the same time, it's also um, our job to provide clarity for ourselves and make sure that we have a very clear job description of what our expectations are and what her and I can hold each other accountable to because when we give each other permission to hold one another accountable to the activities and the role that we are agreeing to uphold within our organization and makes it a lot easier for us to call each other out and say, Hey, let's, you're not doing X, Y, and Z and you know, this is in your lane. So let's talk about what we got to do to get that back on track. So it just, the more clear we are, um, in our partnership, the more, uh, it helps avoid those kind of sticky situations. So tell me like, what does a typical day look like for you guys? Like a, your normal average day of getting stuff done in the ANA team. <laughs> yep. So uh, we have, I'm usually the first in, last to leave just because one, proximity to the office, and two, I'm just an early riser. Um, so I get in, uh, work wise, I get in the office about seven o'clock every day. 
and I usually will kind of do my, my miracle morning. I'll kind of shift through, um, you know, some of the activities and, and make sure that I'm setting my day up for success. But at the same time, um, my, my to-do list is completely different than Rachel's. So I don't handle any transactional um, <clears throat> tasks. Uh, our COO, Carla, handles that directly with Rachel from a customer service standpoint. Rachel um, and I are both doing our lead generation in the morning from about 9 to 11, um, and sometimes uh, we'll sprinkle in some kind of mastermind or book club uh, that her and I are working on um, from a personal growth standpoint. But we always lead our day off with um, lead generation and making sure that we're getting you know our 20 contacts or chipping away at our 20 contacts. And then we have basically our, our day is time blocked um, entirely throughout the day. So uh, our lead generation and operational growth. And then we'll move into our property updates. Um, and then all afternoon is basically we try and do a business-to-business or some kind of face-to-face appointment um, each day for lunch. And then our afternoons are you know time blocked for uh, meetings or walkthroughs or, um, you know, specific appointments that uh, we have on the calendar for that day. So most of the stuff is, um, and we do, now I meet with all of our operational officers to make sure that they are, one, on track for what they need to be doing in their roles, and also we work um, pretty consistently with them on ways to improve the operations within the company. So we like to learn from down up instead of preach from uh, top down. And uh, because there's a lot of stuff that we're obviously missing when we're not in the trenches in their roles. So um, I spend more time on the operational side working with the employees to find that out. And Rachel's out, you know, closing the business. So how many people do you guys have on your team? Uh, Right now, we currently have four full-time agents, uh, two showing agents, uh, an inside sales agent, we're actually bringing on a, a second inside sales agent just because of some of the success we've been having with uh, that lead generation strategy that a lot of people are implementing now. And then we have uh, basically three full-time admin. So one of the questions I had comes with, you know, I, I hear people say all the time, well, and I know this to be true, that lead generation is like the most important thing that you do in a day. So how do you keep that time from not getting pushed to the side? Like what a a big mistake I see a lot of agents make is that they come in and they start checking their email and voicemail and all that. And then the day gets away from them. And next thing you know, the lead generation gets pushed to the bottom. So how do you guys make that a priority? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's uh... (laughs) You know, I was definitely one of those people in the beginning where it's kind of like don't mistake movement for achievement. I was, oh, I'm so busy, you know, and you hear so many people, hey, how you doing today? Walking through the halls, I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. And then I I really wonder what does busy busy equal to your bank account? And it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a tough question to ask. But if you, you know, ask yourself, am I being productive or am I just being busy? Um, you know, that's where a lot of people can't really answer that question the way they probably would like to. And so we call it a, we call our lead generation time, our, our bunker, and we basically protect our bunker. So, you know, I, I, if you stand up and you walk outside the bunker, usually you're getting sniped by someone in the hall wanting to have a conversation <laughs> or talking or whatever it may be. 
so we try and uh, we try and hunt her down in the bunker during our lead generation time. We don't schedule any phone calls, any appointments, and it's all about how you set the expectation, either with your clients or with agents in the office or you know with our operations team. They know when our lead gen, they know when our lead gen time is, um, and they participate in it in their own capacity for their business to ensure that we all secure and hunker down the bunker, and whether that's you know having water having snacks, whatever it is that will allow you to not be distracted and removed from that time um, is, you know, how we kind of protect our lead gen space. But at the same time, it is life. Life shows up and you have certain things come up. Uh, our motto is just if you erase, you replace. So if you're not doing it in the morning, you find some time throughout the day or the following day you do twice as much. Um, and we're pretty consistent with, you know, how we do that. We make sure that we're prioritizing, hey, if this activity is pulling me away from my lead gen time, which, you know, I know what my dollar per hour equates out to, um, if that activity is pulling me away from it, it better be equal or greater to that dollar per hour income producing activity. So what, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you see other agents making? like in where you work or out and about, when you're out traveling the country, what are some of the big mistakes that you see agents make? Or what are some yeah, you well, make yourself? Yeah, I was going to say for for us, and, and we see it as well as a lot of people, you know, usually when people are having a lull in their business, it's a lead problem, right? One more lead, one more closing, one more deal would make a big difference. Um, and so a lot of people think solving that problem is, uh, you know, paying for a premier Zillow spot or some kind of online lead generation. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's truly not adding any true value to your business. Whereas true lead generation, database building, um, I mean, your database is your data bank. You, you know, there's so much gold in people's databases that they don't know. They just don't sift for it in the right places or use the right tools or they don't have an intentionality behind why they're doing it. And so they don't get the results that they desire, and then they give up on it. So I see uh, a lot of people, and we made this mistake for so long, was we did not mine our database the way we should have, and we did not intentionally build it the way we should have through lead generation. So I think a lot of people think online lead platforms are going to solve their, their issue, and really if you look at you know cost per lead or your return on your investment at the end of the day, um, it's just not giving you that true bang for your buck. Whereas uh, when you look at, you know, the amount of money that we've now, you know, because we track everything is the amount of money that we're making from our database, which is free and just requires us, one, picking up the phone, and two, making a genuine connection and providing some kind of value, um, we're seeing insane results from it. And we've only been doing that in our business, sadly enough, for like the last six months. And so I'm excited to see, you know, what our team and our company can do over the next, you know, five, ten years. If you add X amount of people to your database, um, one, that's how you become a sellable business and someone will buy your book of business if you ever decide to get out of real estate because um, you can show, one, how many people you have in your database and, two, what kind of, you know, income are you generating from it. Um, but, two, it, it, so many awesome opportunities and conversations are a result of it. So. That's one of the mistakes we've made is uh, neglecting our database and truly being resistant to lead generating consistently two to three hours a day in the morning. Well, you know, I, I, 
I'm sure you've probably heard me. I'm a huge advocate of your database, and that is really what it takes to build a lifetime business. That's how I built my career and my business. And your database is truly the most valuable thing that you own as you're learning. Like, it's more valuable than a bank account. Oh, yeah. Like, I've done my numbers for many years, and I've figured out that each name that's in my database is worth $1,000. And they're actually worth a lot more than that. But if you break out the average, <clears throat> and so when you build a database to two or 3,000, 4,000 people, you've got a huge, huge database. I mean, I frequently tell the story of one of my best clients, a gal named Linda Buckmaster, who I sold a HUD home to in 1997. Her referral tree is now eight levels deep. Over 65 referrals have generated over 300,000 in commissions since 1997. So wow. there's incredible value in your database, and I'm so glad that you guys are learning that at an early an early stage of your business, really, because it's really more valuable than your bank account because your bank account can, you know, ebb and flow, and so can your database. But if you take care of it, just one person in there, and if you guys are not already, I encourage you to track it on an Excel spreadsheet. Like, you know, when Bob refers Sally and Sally refers John and John refers Tim and, you know, you can start to see and the numbers are astronomical, astronomical. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing when uh, and that was, you know, early on because we've always been big, big advocates of, of coaching and, and being exposed to, um, you know, kind of the fast path of how to avoid some of the pitfalls when you're first starting out. And one of our coaches always said, you know, do you want to be a professional or an amateur? And I said, of course we want to be a professional. And they said, well, you know, professionals track score. They keep score of everything. Amateurs, they don't. And so we at that time hadn't been tracking anything in our business. Um, and when you become aware of really, you know, something like that, right, of, you know, the the – chain of command for a referral and how much that generates over a lifespan or, you know, how many appointments it takes, how many phone calls it takes to get an appointment, how many appointments you have to go on in order to get a listing and, you know, what that translates into your bottom line. Uh, the more aware you become of, you know, all these caveats in your business, you're able to navigate that, that space in a more intentional way, which allows you to be much more productive. And at the end of the day, your, your bottom line goes up. So uh, that's a great point. Well, the great thing about numbers is that they don't lie, right? They, they don't take things personal. They don't lie. They are what they are. You know, if you're making X amount of calls, on average, you're going to get X amount of appointments. And if you're not making the calls, you're not going to get the appointments, right? And if you're making X amount of calls and you're not getting appointments, then it comes down to skill training. Wouldn't you right. agree? That's the time that you got to kind of jump on and do some role playing or practice with somebody who's better. And learn some of that skill. Yep, I 100% agree. I mean, we had a, one of our ISAs that, you know, she was making three to 500 calls a day based on, you know, how many people she was talking to. And, you know, conversion-wise, we weren't seeing necessarily the results that we would have hoped or were common across skilled inside sales agents. And so when we started getting more intentional about how we we're script practicing with her in the morning and objection handling and all of the different hands-on training we were getting. We were starting to put more tools on our tool belt, and she was becoming more equipped to handle 
the, the different situations that she was finding herself in on the phone and her conversion was going up. So that's what we work on with our agents too is, you know, at the end of the day, we all start at the same spot. We all are given the same opportunity, at least on my real estate team is what we tell everybody. And, um, you know, we're here to help you succeed. A lot of it starts with mindset, then it moves to activities, and then it moves to skill set. And then you obviously are leading to mastery. So, you know, that's um, that's kind of how we, we try and take the approach with not only our own business and, our, and ourselves and what we're doing on a daily basis, but also for helping other people. So I love what you're doing and, you know, the, the content that you're sharing with people because this is gold on, you know, learning from other people's mistakes. That's why I love podcasts so much is it's short-form content packed into, you know, 30 minutes to an hour and you get all the gold that is sitting, you know, in between people's ears and their minds. Um, shared right into your, you know, your notebook in less than, you know, an hour, which is amazing. Exactly. So in in leading your team and your partnership and, and some of your other partnerships, what would you say is really one of the most important characteristics that a leader should possess? Like what have you learned in leading leading the people that you do? What's the most important thing? Uh for me, integrity is the most important thing. I mean, that's the one thing, uh, the big aha for me on that was when uh, my dad's been in corporate America for, he's worked for Hertz Equipment Rental for 23 years. And we went to um, one of, uh, I went to an event. My dad was leaving California, going to, to Florida. And um, people that had worked for my dad for years and years and years came and spoke and talked. And he'd always preached and, and really practiced um, a lot of the, you know, characteristics and qualities that he felt made a great leader. And the one word that came up in almost every single speech was integrity and always doing the right thing, even when nobody is looking, that has allowed him to, uh, and and you see it obviously with other people, uh, other great leaders, is um, people respect someone who's going to be honest, someone that they can trust. And a lot of the times, um, those are the intangible qualities that you just can't make up. And so, you know, <clears throat> there's one quote that uh, a mentor had shared with me, and he goes, you know, your business will never transcend your character or your integrity. And and I was thinking about that, you know, you, you see a lot of people um, who are not really integrity based or driven and yet they're extremely successful but usually it catches up with them mind you there's an exception of the rule for everything but um you know for me being a great leader i think one uh character integrity is important and i also think of how you how you communicate is is just a huge huge one um you know one you gotta you gotta be a good listener um but you you also gotta find very creative ways of communicating with um, the people you're trying to lead and inspire or else your message will not be received in in the best way. So with that said, what do you think are some of the the best ways you've learned to communicate with your team? I know that um, for me, I've learned the importance of your tone of voice, right? Because <laughs> sometimes, yeah. especially under stressful situations or when a lot you've got a lot going on, um, I know as a fellow uh, D personality that 
um, there, I have to be very conscious of how I say things as opposed to what I say, because it can come across as a, short or impatient or <laughs> you and I are you and I are too much alike because um that's those are definitely a lot of my challenges is because I'm I am impatient that's just my my natural personality is uh I'm an impatient person and sometimes I can come off as cold or harsh um and so that's those are things that I've it's been brought to my attention and and I've you know consciously been more mindful of how I work and go about, you know, communicating in, in those kind of situations. But, um, you know, for me, it's communication is always the deep, first and foremost, um, a deeper understanding of the situation so I can respond accordingly. Um, so it, obviously it always starts with listening before I, before I speak. So I'm always listening to analyze, you know, I want to, I want to break things down into parts and get a better idea of, you know, bite size wise, what am I, what am I dealing with? And then Secondly, I'm listening to synthesize. So I am listening to see, you know, how these pieces, you know, fit together as a whole and, and what direction am I trying to move it towards in that kind of conversation. And then thirdly, I'm also listening to empathize. You know, a lot of the times in communication, um, people want to feel like they're being heard or understand, you know, understood. And, um, you know, so that's a lot of the times when you're dealing with multiple personalities, you have to understand what, one, what kind of personality are you dealing with? And two, you know, if, if, if I'm dealing with someone like you, Marguerite, I'm not going to, you know, go into detail and talk for 30 minutes. I may get to, you know, the meat and potatoes and uh, make sure that I'm delivering it in a, an approachable and, you know, um, constructive way um, versus someone who is, you know, very sensitive and wants all the details and wants to feel comfortable with everything. I might take a little bit more time and touch on the points that, um, you know, I know are important to them through listening in those steps. So I, it really, the communication for me depends on who is my subject first and foremost, and then based on what kind of data I've compiled through listening um, I'll be able to find a way of mindfully delivering a response that hopefully will move the conversation in a positive direction. Um, a great book on that is um, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. Um, yeah, great that was, book. That was an awesome book that I read and, and actually did a training on. So that helped me kind of understand the dynamic a little bit better. And then I've done a lot of personality studies, um, studying five, six different, you know, personality profiles, whether that's Myers-Briggs or, you know, Strength Finder, Disc Test, Keller Williams has one specific called the ABA. Um, I've been through a lot of trainings on that on, you know, just better understanding um, personality profiles. And then obviously that all ties into your manner of communication and how you will best connect with that person in whatever, you know, situation or context uh, it calls for. Well, I'll tell you, um, the personality test, uh, were life-changing for me years ago because the, my favorite part um, of the one that, that I've, I've done a few too, but my favorite part of one of them was how I see myself, but mm. how others see me, right? So I yep. might see myself, like you said, as, you know, maybe Gregorious and outgoing and someone else sees me as, you know, obnoxious or <laughs> I don't know. You know I, don't, I don't necessarily understand all of it, but I always crack up because I'm like, okay, well, that's not at all how I saw myself, right? Right. And it kind of teaches you to be a little bit more open-minded to the way that others' perception is. And that was a huge 
a huge learning curve for me uh, back. Well, I'm still learning that probably I could say sometimes, but still so when you get the reaction, you aren't expecting you go, Oh, well, you and the, you <laughs> and I both. Way, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Constantly well, so, learning uh, in this space. I know that you're working on some pretty cool stuff. I know when uh, I see on Facebook a lot, you're doing a couple things, right? Tell me a little bit about GoBundance, because I know that this has been primarily a men's group, and so I haven't paid too much attention to it, but I was excited to hear that you said uh, you guys are now, there's now going to be a women's division. So show me a little bit about GoBundance. Yeah, so GoBundance, um, it started off as a men's group, and, and because of all the, one, slack we've been catching for just being a men's group, and um and two, just because of some of the great things we've been doing, um, it's inspired uh, the form, you know, the formation of a women's group also, which is really cool. Um, it's a national and international uh, kind of mastermind accountability group for just leading and living an epic life. And uh, the five pillars are horiz- um, financial freedom, so horizontal income, having multiple income streams, um, age-defying health, so being consciously aware of your health, um, your fitness, your diet, you know, all that kind of stuff so we can be around for the people that we love and care about as long as possible. Um, We have extreme accountability, which basically we share network mastermind on a lot of our goals, whether that's, you know, net worth or our, um, you know, charity work that we're doing or whatever it may be, anything that we share um, we will, you know, hold each other accountable to that. We give each other permission to basically call each other out on our BS when, when stuff's showing up. Uh, then we have a genuine contribution, which a lot of the guys uh, and gals, you know, that are being associated with um, the Mastermind group have charities or they're just heavily involved in their communities. They, they truly care about making a difference. And um, with the first pillar being financial freedom, um, it's a very non-ego-driven group. So people are not there to boast about, you know, all their successes and accolades. Um, We want to be more wealthy so we can make a greater impact uh, by genuinely contributing to, um, you know, local charities, our own charities, or, you know, different philanthropic work that's going on in, um, you know, in our communities or just around the world that, that resonates with us. And then the last one is Bucket List Adventures. So we love to have fun and uh, travel. I was just in Peru not too long ago, and we did a little mini mission trip there and did something called the Clean Stove Project, which we built stoves out in this uh, basically Peruvian jungle for a very remote third world, you know, little town. And they don't have any actual operating stoves. They cook open fire in their house. So the inside of their house is just completely covered in, you know, black soot and smoke and dust. And uh, it was starting to get, you know, they were having health issues because of it. So we went out there and actually built stoves with our our bare hands and created hot water systems for them. It was really cool. So we got a little bit of, you know, genuine contribution like that. And then we also ended up moving towards, um, you know, more of an adventurous side, which we ended up doing uh, the hike to Machu Picchu. Um, next year we're going to Vietnam, the year before we went to Austria and Germany. So we do, uh, you know, bucket list trips together, but at the end of the day, it's just a a tribe of people from all across the globe that 
are intentional about how they're living their lives, making a difference in their local communities, and uh, finding a way to create a legacy for your family to carry on and, and follow, follow with. That sounds incredible. I would love to hear more about the opportunities for the women that are able to participate in that too. Absolutely. You would, um, I will get you in contact with uh, the two people that are kind of heading that up. And there's a growing list because, yeah, I, there's so many women out there it resonates with. And I know that you would definitely be one of those ladies. So tell me a little bit about the other organization you're involved with before we wrap up today, the One Life Fully Lived. Yeah, One Life Fully Lived is a charity. I sit on the board of it, and it's uh, just a very cool charity that um, is really making a difference in kind of all walks of life, really. And uh, we just got linked up with World Merit, um, which is tied in with the UN, so it's a global charity. And basically, uh, the slogan is Dream It, Plan It, Live It. And it's for... um, it's basically like tools and resources for and curriculums for life's 101s, the stuff that they don't really teach you in school. Um, so whether that's, you know, financial freedom, uh, you know, creating a budget, um, you know, some kind of uh, spiritual, you know, uh, journey that you're on. There's so many different little curriculums and uh, resources within the community um, that allow us to reach all different types of people. So it's been something that's been a, a huge value add to my own life, uh, and it's been really, really cool to see the expansion. We just had our uh, Sacramento conference, and we did um, our Philadelphia East Coast conference, and we're getting all kinds of amazing speakers that are really starting to contribute and want to be a part of it on a high level. So uh, to kind of see this little charity um, from Portola, California, start to grow and blossom across state lines and now really across, um, you know, continents. It's, uh, it's awesome to see what's kind of going on in the, in the One Life community. Well, I have to tell you, Matt, for someone as young as you are, you're quite the inspiration. You have a lot on your plate and a lot of really cool stuff that you're doing. You must have some amazing parents. I do. I got two amazing parents. I have um, an awesome family. I got a lot of great mentors and friends around me. And I mean, I think that's what I can attribute probably my success to is, yeah, I have a burning desire within. um, But at the same time, I am constantly involved um, and connected to great environments and people that uplift me and inspire me. So that would probably be my one parting thought would be, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Whoever you want to be or whatever you aspire to be like, um, seek those people out. Don't be shy. You know, put yourself out there. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable and, uh, you know, see what kind of growth happens because I'm doing some stuff that I never, ever imagined would be possible. Um, You know, only dreamt of it. Now it's uh, it's cool to see how that lid continues to, to be raised and I'm excited to see, you know, kind of where things go. But I would love to connect with, you know, any of your listenership. And I love what you're doing, and I'm honored to be on your podcast today. Thank you so much, Matt. It really has been an honor. And um, I'm so proud of you and proud to have 
been able to have some opportunity to get to know you and chat with you, and, and I'm excited to see what is yet to come for you. I can say I knew you when. <laughs> Thanks so much, Marguerite. Thank you again for being on our show. Make it a great day. You too.